everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Sean Boyce, the host. Excited to welcome my guest today, Mac Martin, who is a B2B SaaS founder with a successful exit. So we're excited to learn all about, all about your story. Hey, Mac, how are you? And welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. I'm doing well. Yourself? Yeah, where here. are you calling in from now? I know we've talked about this before, but uh, you've been traveling quite a bit. Yeah, today I woke up in Porto, Portugal. It's beautiful, sunny. But uh, yeah, we've been traveling around quite a bit this summer. Tomorrow we head over to Spain. So trying to enjoy the summertime while the boys are out of school. One of the best ways to do it. I know we've talked about that as well, too. Uh, one of the exciting advantages of doing what it is that we do is you can kind of do it from anywhere. So might as well That's when right. you can. That's right. Okay. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, very excited to talk more about your successful history of growing B2B SaaS businesses and exiting them as well, too. Uh, that'd probably be a great place to start. But before we do that, if you don't mind, share with our audience a little bit more about you and your background, how you got into doing this work, and then we'll dive into the specifics. Hmm. Ah, there's a lot, a lot I could say there, I guess. Uh, I mean, let's see, I'll work backwards a little bit. I am currently we're sort of nomading with my family, my wife and two boys. We're in Europe. We're from the U.S., from Portland, Oregon is what we call home. Uh, but we've been away for a little over a year. Um, and yeah, I had a lot of years of just trying different things and tinkering and building apps and iPhone apps and all sorts of different things to try to sort of make anything go on my own, you know, uh, and it eventually led to SaaS apps and, you know, early like first SaaS app was, I started in 2010. So, you know, relatively early days of, of, you know, the sort of creator individual SaaS builders and uh you know the following eight years was basically nothing you know like no no revenue from it really and always wondering what i was doing wrong and wh why i couldn't do it and finally in 2018 i had a app that just started to go really quickly and so within about two and a half years it was up to 58k mrr and then i sold that and so that was uh, early 2021 and so um since then it's been a you know combination of uh taking some time and enjoying time with family and figuring out what's next so that's the that's the broad overview you know and now it's okay. just a matter of like finding finding a healthy balance and with with, with family and enjoying life and also continuing to you know do exciting things with the business and career. I'd say that's probably pretty close to what many of us are looking for. So as you can imagine, <laughs> I've got a lot of follow-up questions. <laughs> so me and everybody else could learn more from you who's done this successfully, how you did it, and any advice you have basically along the way. So wherever you want to go starting out, that would be great. I know a question for certain that I have, because like you, similar kind of journey where I tried a bunch of things earlier in my career. Those didn't really take, and it wasn't until a little bit later until I started to kind of figure things out. Love to kind of hear that version of the arc and your story from you as you share more background about where you ultimately did have success with your B2B SaaS. Like, what was it? Uh, what problem were you solving? Who, who, was, who had that problem uh, for which your software was solving it for them? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, starting out, kind of looking back at, at what the path was 
um, I, and like how I did it, you know, I, I kind of like, I'm realizing more and more that there's no like secret formula or secret sauce. And I, I now have a newsletter where I'm kind of trying to share everything I know and have learned and how I did it. And I'm just really realizing that a lot of people early on, like any, anywhere, like before sort of quote unquote success, which is like whatever they're hoping to get out of it. And like anywhere is like, um, the hurdles are mainly mental or what is motivation or confidence or self-doubt and all these things. And so really, if I were to sum up, like, how did you do it? How do you do it? All of us, for the most part, that eventually hit success, it's just like, you just keep going. Like, that's really what it is. I really think it boils down to just keep going. Um, and I think we, you know, kind of looking back, like, I know what it's like to be in these states. Like, am I, do I not have a good idea? Why can't I find a good idea? Uh, or do I just suck at marketing? Or do I have no motivation or do, whatever it is? I think we don't, we kind of, in a sense, give ourselves too much credit in the, meaning like think that we have more control than we actually do. And of course we can influence all this and we can like, we are the ones that sort of make this stuff happen. However, there also is so much that is out of our control of like timing and there's luck and there's the market and there's, there's a, just a million factors that like we can't even understand them all. And so, um, really I think it just comes down to like not giving up and not stopping. And so then, you know, now I've been talking to a lot of people that are, that have these struggles and I try to figure out what that is, like, what is it that makes someone keep going? And my first answer was like, you just have it or you don't, you're like born with this internal drive and motivation or you're not, and you're screwed. And then, no, I don't think that's true anymore either. So I kind of try to look at that and like how, how we can change our mindset. And, you know, um, so I think it's all very, very interesting. Um, but I mean, you know, like I said, like I, in a sense, I can't take too much credit for, <laughs> for what I did. Cause it's just like, I just kept going at some point. It's like you throw enough darts at the board where something's going to be a bullseye. It doesn't mean you're an amazing dart thrower. Uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, I think uh, ho hopefully like gives hope to anyone who is struggling. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, I can get into like, yeah, I was just going to, I was just going to echo the same sentiment for our listeners. I found it to be almost exactly the same, which is super interesting in terms of like those that have had success in this area, see, have similar stories, which I always find fascinating is those patterns are, are relatively similar where it's just like, if you just keep going, then like you said, um, eventually you're going to get better. And as you continue to get better, then your odds of success go up. It might be incrementally, but that might be enough to make a difference for whatever you're working on last, right? And as you continue to build that momentum, your odds of success go up, that might show up as well also. So I think that leads me to other questions. Obviously, I still want to hear more from you in terms of the profile of what, where it is you did have your success. So please share some of those details. But um, what my next question related to that thread, though, is like, what do you recommend for, for other people that want to do this in terms of what puts them on a path to making it more sustainable? Because that's kind of my 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 two cents as well, too, is like, just make sure you're on a path where you don't, it's not necessarily like a race condition. Like you don't have to do this 
in a very limited or short period of time. Like it just gives you more time, more opportunity to figure things out because um, I'm on your newsletter, which is awesome. We'll talk more about that. Uh, but in it, you talk about, you know, it took years essentially to figure a lot of these things out and go from zero to 58K MRR with your B2B SaaS. So like, I think there's misconceptions out there where folks think this should happen in like days or weeks. Uh, when in reality, a lot of people that have done so successfully, it takes many months or years sometimes, and that's okay, right? But like, what can help people that want to do this uh, be on a path that's more sustainable, that doesn't create this like situation where there's this immense pressure and stress, uh, or I call it the like struggle porn aspect where it's like everybody's in this like startup life and you have to be like ramen noodles and working like 20 hours a day or something crazy in order to actually achieve success here. I feel like um, that has not been my experience. I'm curious to hear your take on all that. It's a really interesting challenge, right? Because we want to like just kind of get in there and move as fast as we can and get the shit done. Um, the pro there's a couple problems with that, at least for me is like, it's not as enjoyable that way. So trying to find a balance of like, how do I just slow down and enjoy this process? Because the more you enjoy the process, it might be counterintuitive, but the more productive you're going to be, the better you're going to be able to make good decisions and execute well. So like finding that balance of like going, 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 but also like not too fast. You don't want to, you know, um, and it reminds me of this conversation. I, I believe it's um, Derek Sivers on the Tim Ferriss podcast. There's a couple episodes of them, but I think it's the first one where Derek talks about um I think he lived in Southern California somewhere. I don't know where he was, but he said he would go on this bike ride every day and he would race as fast as he could on the bike on the path to the end and back. And it took him like, like 42 minutes, like every time. And it would just like, I'm going to go as hard as I can and just get there as fast as I can come back 42 minutes, like every time. And then finally he was just like, you know, I'm going to see what happens if I, if I go at just what I feel, what feels like a comfortable pace. And he does it. and he it takes him like 44 minutes it's a difference of like like two minutes but he says it's like he's enjoying it he's comfortable it's not he's not like he's pushing himself but at a, at a comfortable pace where it's he can take in the surroundings and enjoy it and i think about that a lot because i think we we sometimes like go into this like over efforting mode and we try so hard to do things so fast like i've got to come up with the idea right now i've got to get it done today and in many cases i mean in many cases, it just slows us down, right? Um, uh, or, debt, or or doesn't help us go faster. So uh, I, I think it's being able to, trying to find a way to slow down and enjoy the process. And, you know, I think you can move fast because, you know, there are going to be a lot of people that are like, you got to move fast, you got to go. It's all about speed. Yeah, like, it's not all about speed. And speed comes from counterintuitive things sometimes. It's about making smart decisions, not stupid decisions where you have to undo this stuff all the time and, and having a strategy and knowing what you're doing so that every day when you get up, you know exactly what to do. You don't spend half the day. Like, what am I supposed to do? So, you know, yeah, that's what I would say. Yep. Much more sustainable. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. The, the, taking the pressure, taking that pressure off. I think about it all the time. If I'm like sitting in traffic and I see someone, driving for example and they're like weaving in and out of traffic uh, trying to like get there 30 seconds ahead of everybody else and my technical background can't help me recognize how much more risk that's entering into the equation for very yeah. very little uh reward right yeah. so it's not not necessarily worth it there so that 
I'm a huge advocate of a more sustainable path. I want to talk more about that, especially as it pertains to bootstrapping and stuff like that. But before we hop into that, I want to give you an opportunity to talk more about basically the problem that you uncovered that your B2B SaaS solved and how you went about finding that. Because that's what we talk a lot about on, about that on this show. It's a lot of content that I produce. And it's a it's probably one of the biggest missed opportunities for a lot of folks that are out there trying to succeed in building SaaS products and companies and are not having success. I think one of the biggest challenges I see is people so-called building solutions to problems that don't exist. A lot of them don't know they need to start with the problem. Uh, you've obviously done this very successfully, so I'd love to hear what you know, your best advice is around this as well, too. And then you know, ultimately how you found the problem uh, that you wanted to solve with your SaaS and what the, you know, kind of advices you have for others that need to do the same. Yeah, so, I mean, after all this talk of like, sort of a numbers game where I just had to do a bunch of things before something's bound to hit. That's true. I strongly believe that. The other big difference with this one was that I talked to a lot of people first. Like my entire, the whole process was all, all started with talking to people first, whereas that's not always what I did before. Most of the time, it's not what I had done before. I would build something with assumptions or just thinking it was a cool idea and then realizing like, oh, I just spent weeks or months building this thing and now I don't even know who to put it in front of or how to get from it. So that is like crucial. I think you can do, like that's a viable, like I think there, there's no one way to skin a cat, right? Like, but I think if you're gonna go the route of not talking to a lot of people, you shouldn't put a lot of time into it. It's just like, oh, I'm gonna put up this landing page and then run an ad to it or, or whatever it is. But like. That's low. Like, that's fine. That's, I don't have a problem with that. But I mean, if you're going to spend too much time or if you really want to start with a problem, as you're suggesting, which is a good idea, uh, it's about talking to people. And that's what I did with the app that that made a splash, right? And it, it started with um, basically just saying, I don't really have an agenda with what I have no vision of what this is going to be. My goal is to talk to people who know processes and know businesses and industries that I don't know. Uh, and, and then in a little bit of like going where the money is, right? Like I'm not going to go talk to certain types of people, but so I started reaching out to people that I knew. I, I think I went to LinkedIn and I searched in my network of, you know, people of a certain title or you know higher ups or people that own agencies or people that are higher up in a bigger company people that like know processes right and can like make decisions and and so i i reached out to maybe five of them people that i again these people i started with people i know like not people they were either friends or that like would know who i am if i reached out to them and asked if i could meet them for coffee that i reached out to local people and i'll take them to coffee and i think everyone says yes everyone likes to do that kind of thing believe it or not and I, you know, before too long, like I would do that. I'd go maybe have five coffees and I'd come back and see if I see any patterns and I would do it again, reach out to usually new people, maybe repeats if there's something that I want to keep talking about and keep doing that. And before too long, I was like, oh, sales teams are really interesting because they have money and they're not afraid to spend money on tools that they're going to make money back on. Okay, that's cool. I'm going to find more of those. And so now I'm getting into a particular industry. And then before too long with sales teams, it's very quickly lead gen because that's that's the, that's what it's all about and so okay now we're talking about like lead, lead gen tools what are they using what do they need what are the and so it just went further and further that way and there were some different ideas that i would 
experiment with. Sometimes it's going home and like spending a few hours or a few days coding something to see if I could even do something, that particular thing. And I might take it back to them and be like, is this kind of what you're thinking? And then see, and, and oftentimes like a big lesson there was like people suggest things that they think are cool, but cool doesn't sell. People don't buy cool in this case, like in business software. Um, and so that was, you know, there's some lessons there. Um, so people say they want something and then you bring it back and they're like, no, I don't actually want that, but it is cool. I'm like, oh, great. Uh, so it's just an iteration, just like continuing to do that. Um, and, you know, I, you can only validate things so much, I think, before you can actually swipe a card. And yeah, some people preach or, you know, try to like swipe a card before they like pre-sell. I didn't do that, but I just had to go with my gut of like, how much do I trust this? And how much am I seeing a pattern? How many people am I getting agreeing with this? And at, at some point I got, I was just like, oh, I, I was actually sitting at a coffee with a friend of mine who basically said, oh, okay, now we're on to something. If you had the, he runs a services agency. And he was like, if you had this, I would give you my card, swipe it for 800 bucks right now. Like no questions asked. And I took that and I ran it by a few enough other people uh, in conversation and, and got some confidence in it. And so I spent about four weeks coding, which, you know, is kind of a long time, but not that long, I think, given my kind of confidence in it. Uh, and really about four weeks to the day from my first line of code, I swiped, I actually just looked at it the other day, uh, a few, few cards for about 200 bucks. Um, and so he didn't, it wasn't 800, like he said, but it did get there eventually, um, with more selling more seats to it and stuff. Um, and so that was it. And so then, you know, basically grew it from there. But, uh, you know, I think when you start to see a few cards for 200 bucks swiped in the first few days, like pretty good sign that you should push harder and so i did amazing yeah i can't agree more that's something i preach about a lot essentially the these answers lie with your customer or your market if you do that research if you talk to people especially businesses like know who you're talking to searching for these problems you're following the money money usually follows the problems they're trying to solve you can eventually uncover well here's an opportunity right I know these, this group of people or these businesses are trying to solve this problem and this is the way they're trying to do it. I know I can do better than that or I could build something that will impress them, right? Provide them with a return. Yeah. I spoke to that as well too. Provide that ROI, right? You can, you can essentially iron out a lot of that, at least in theory, based on the data you're collecting back before you even start building. You're so far ahead of the game uh, when compared with the masses in terms of what they're doing with products. Like you said, I've done the same where I just like, I built something, thought it was going to be a hit, and then couldn't give it away, right? Like, because I hadn't thought about that whole side of the equation. Uh, but once you have done that, it really changes your perspective, and it keeps you more focused in on, like, uh, what you should build, yeah. like, where you should start. It does, and I think it also, like, um, can either validate or crush your assumptions. And I was thinking the other day about one of these apps that I built, I don't know when it was, 2016 or something, um, but basically like without getting into too much detail, what it would do is like automatically generate landing pages for small businesses, like restaurants or like mom and pop shops or whatever, really. But, and it came from being out and every, like I would be like trying to find the menu for something. And I would always get take like, all I could find was like Facebook. And then I have to try to find the menu. And I'm like, I hate this. This is awful. Like it's a terrible experience. And I hate Facebook. 
And why don't these companies have websites? And so I made the assumption that these people just hadn't gotten around to building a website or couldn't afford it or whatever the reason was. And so I made something to make it really easy for them to basically automatically have it generated and maintained. And I went and tried to shop this around. And what I found out was that like a lot of these places had gotten rid of their website when Facebook came along. There are people, are, everyone's on Facebook. I love Facebook and that's where people are. And I might as well just use that. I don't need a website. I'm like, oh my God. First of all, I think that's terrible, but fine. Like I can't really like, I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you otherwise, but it really crushed my assumption, right? That like I thought was a totally valid assumption. I never would have, I never would have guessed that that was the case, but little did I know. So yeah, we can think we're brilliant yeah. and are onto something and little do we know, like people are going the opposite direction of what we thought was the right way oh. to go. <laughs> That's some excellent advice too, right? Cause it can create you, it can prevent you from, wasting time, money on something that we think might be a good idea, but ultimately it doesn't connect with our target market audience for whatever reason. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's whatever they're doing is the best solution or the optimal solution, but it is what they see or what they're willing to use essentially. So really important to get because there's a lot of that psychological aspect as well too in this world in terms of people understanding what's a, what's a need, what's a want, uh, what's something I'm willing to make changes on, what's something I'm not. That uh, that's a key part of it as well. I want to talk about too um, bootstrapping because uh, obviously it's a key component of what you're talking about in your newsletter. Uh, it I think it's related to what I was talking about earlier in terms of choosing a more sustainable path for some folks because of what I know about the VC world and taking investment and the pressure and stress that that can cause. I want to hear your take on the bootstrapping element in terms of you know. Uh, when you did it, why you decided to do it, what your advice is around it, how it compares to taking investment in the investment world. Like, What advice do you have for founders and B2B SaaS product companies and people that are growing these companies around that versus bootstrapping? Yeah, you know, I have just never had interest in raising money. And, you know, there are definitely, yeah. like, I definitely <laughs> think there's a case for it. I mean, I was just had a call with someone we were talking about an idea of like, like this is a case where you would really like want some money behind it to like power, especially like marketplaces or things where you just have to have shit ton of people in it right away. Um, but aside from that, like a lot of what has drawn me to this and just kind of like this meaning like creating some sort of business that I have control over uh, is freedom to like not have to answer to other people that I were like lose in the, the idea of like going and losing control over it. And, and now I'm kind of back, like I might as well just go work for a company. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I don't love it. It's, you know, it doesn't mean it's the only way or the right way, but for me, it's like, this is um, how I want to do it. So, I mean, you know, the very first time I, uh, you know, really committed to bootstrapping an app, I, I worked at Adobe for a long, like 11 years, and I quit my job. And I went, spent almost two years on a SaaS that, like, I went nowhere. Like, I sold a couple hundred bucks worth of it. And like that, so that was my lesson, you know. But like, that was me just kind of using my savings to live for a while. It didn't cost me money aside from that, really. Uh, and then I went and immersed myself in the startup scene in Portland, Oregon, and I was with a company. Like, a, there were three of us. Um, and they had taken some money and we were working sort of under an incubate startup incubator 
And, you know, they hadn't raised a ton of money, but enough to where like decisions had to be run through other people. And there was just a, it was a whole already just like a whole different deal, even though they raised, I don't, I don't know, not a lot. Um, it's just like, that's not what I wanted. So, and then just kind of seeing like, if I'm just me and I have, I mean, my overhead is like a few hundred bucks for like the software tools I use. Right. And like, and then my time. And so I don't need a ton, right? Like I don't need, I'm not, I'm not trying to build some like massive billion dollar company. I'm not, that's not, I'm trying to have just a lifestyle and pay my bills and be able to travel the world with my family and do whatever, how live how I want to live. Um, so that's just kind of my um, approach to it. And I mean, it's, it, as I mentioned, like kind of going the route of going and raising money, that's just like a whole other set of, hurdles and problems and things that I that don't interest me that I don't I don't want to do so yeah. I think the most important thing you said is like what's right for you and that's mm -hmm. what I would encourage folks to take away from this and then you gave a bunch of excellent reasons mine just so happened to match yours almost one-to-one -one in terms of why I didn't want to do it because I've been involved in that all too with early stage startup teams and I saw the stress and pressure and time limits and you know, like you said, community decision making stuff just slowed the process down. And a lot of it was, this isn't what I want to do, right? Like, I'm glad I have that experience, but that's not kind of what I want. I don't want to be, you know, 20 hours a day, living at work, doing literally nothing else, all in the hopes of maybe one out of a 1000 reaching a billion dollar founder, you know, startup status so that the VC firm that cut me a check is going to make their money back on a whole bunch of other bets they've made that are losers or whatever right. like that world that that stuff just doesn't excite me i very much like what you described and i think that's what i'm hoping people will realize is you can have you know an exit that's much much smaller which would be unattractive to a vc firm that might not get you a check but could change your life right like and give you the things that you want meanwhile you maintain control you work on it when you want to work on it like you establish kind of the routine that you want for me, that's what it's always been about is like, I, I always tell people like, I'm in it for the love of the game. I just love this stuff. So, but I also want to be able to do it on my terms. And that just doesn't happen to be like, support that for me in a very good way. I mean, and you're, you're hitting on something else very important that is a huge factor that I, maybe one of the most important factors, which is, you know, you know, I very much believe now in this sort of like portfolio of small bets or however, you, but like being like, what's cool about bootstrapping and being able to code and is like i can pivot now i can like pivot and like shift all of this by tomorrow or start something new if i feel like or whatever but like not if i've taken 100k or whatever of money of someone else and now i'm like i'm tied to it right i'm stuck and i, I have to like go through all this approval process meanwhile the guy who's just bootstrapping out of his basement has like already built the thing that i was you know so um but yes yeah, also like the the people that are investing in this stuff are crushing it way more than the average solo founder because or or a funded startup i should say because they've got they're diversifying right it's like why buy index funds and not three individual stocks is because they're spreading their bets out and that's that's how, that's the name of their that's why they are so successful is because they're spreading out their risk yep. right and so if I, if I'm now committing to one thing for, you know, it's, 
it's risky. It's risky for the individual funded startup. Yeah. I'm so glad you made that point. I've, I've talked about this in one of the solo podcast episodes that I do, where I'm like, it's so counterintuitive as at the same time as when you're talking about investing, people tell you, well, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Don't invest in one stock. That's risky. But at the same time, if you get advice from certain areas of the community, it'll be, you know, only focus on one thing and like do that one thing for however long it takes in order for it to hit. And it's like, okay, I get that to a certain extent where like you don't need to do multiple things constantly like every day. But at the same time, that can feel somewhat limiting if you do stumble upon something else, which is another or bigger opportunity and you're handcuffed and prevented from being able to capitalize on it. So that I think adds some challenge and adversity to that mixture. Whereas I love to see founders and entrepreneurs have the ability to pursue where they feel like is the best opportunity. Now I'm all for committing once you have found that opportunity, but uh, I don't want it to limit you. So like you're saying. It's a real art to like finding out like how long do you stick with something? When do you move on? When do you, when do you just put it on the back burner? Um, yeah, that's true. Well it's, said. A, it's a challenge. <laughs> it sure is. Art is but, the best way to say it because uh, but the, you can make an argument either way a lot of times. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, if I, like anytime I am working on something where there's competition and uh, so many people will like find out like their competition just raised a bunch of money and they're like, oh shit, like, uh, I'm like, sweet. Like, yes, like they're going to be so much slower and they're going to be, uh, I, I can, I can turn on <laughs> yep. a dime and do anything. And I, I literally get excited when I find that out because um, I, I feel like I have a huge advantage now. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. That's just like, yeah. takes a lot longer to turn around that giant ship or pivot that giant ship. And uh, that's not who we are at the moment. So agreed, that right. could be a huge advantage. Um, let's talk. Thank you so much for your take on that. Everything you've shared so far. I want to talk more about you and the work that you're doing now. Like, what do you have going on at the moment? Um, I'd love to hear more about the newsletter, where, how folks can learn more about that, where things can go to sign up. And yeah, share anything you've got. Yeah, so um, I think I touched on where I'm traveling around with my family. My, I've got two boys that are 9 and 11, so they're in school during the school year. In the summer, we've been traveling around. Uh, so this summer, my kind of main focus is my newsletter, The SaaS Bootstrapper, which is at thesasbootstrapper.co. Um, and it's just me sharing everything that I've learned and continue to learn and just trying to help help others. Um, and it's been really fun. It's like a whole new set of challenges of just like figuring out how to drive people to a newsletter and how to figure out what they want to read about. You know, it's very different. I mean, it's obviously a lot of overlap with product, but it's also different. It's a different thing. So it's been super fun and having a lot of conversations with people and just seeing seeing how I can help. Um, so that's my uh, sort of main focus, especially this summer while I don't have a lot of time to be at the computer. Um, and I also have an app called Aware, which is at useaware.co. Uh, I have a co-founder with that one, and it basically enables you to create custom LinkedIn feeds so you can um, put in the people that you want to cont continually engage with, and it um, lets, puts it all in one place, and there's some analytics in there and some other cool stuff. Uh, and I'm about to launch a little byproduct of that, uh, which is called Fast Pulse at fastpulse.io, which like it doesn't work there yet but it's up there you can sign up for the waiting list um but it's basically just like a daily email digest that i built for myself to see 
what my MRR is and who's in trial, how many people are in trial, who's converting today, and what my MRR will be uh, if they convert, you know, things like this, which is, there's all these other cool, great analytics tools, but there was just nothing that did this, which is, again, just like my daily, just give me like the overview with my coffee of like what I'm looking at today. And so I, I built that for myself to see, and I'm going to toss that out there and uh, see what happens. Um, and that's, that's what I'm work. That's what I'm doing right now. So Amazing. thank you for sharing a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, I encourage everybody to go check out all of Max products that he's working on and definitely sign up for the newsletter. I'm on the newsletter. It's awesome. Um, obviously I'm fully bought, uh, bought into the process. I've done this a lot myself. Uh, Max got amazing stories to tell about his journey. I could have you on this podcast, Max, for hours on hours. Mm. <laughs> Just asking you questions about uh, what you were able to do and the twists and turns and the stories and all that kind of stuff. So we'll definitely do more episodes so we can talk more about that. In the meantime, you can get a lot of those bits and pieces of that story from his newsletter. Uh, we're going to link to all that stuff in the show notes. And I'm very interested and excited to hear more about SAS Pulse. That's something that I know for me is a problem. So I'm signing up for that for sure because uh, those are some of the metrics that matter most when we're trying to build, grow, scale, figure out like what these products ultimately can become once we start to get a little bit of traction. So I've got some of those right now uh, in that phase myself as well too. So it'd be really cool to test out the product that way. Uh, so outside of that, Mac, was there anything else you wanted to share with our audience? Um, any other way they can uh, track you down, connect with you, you know, who should reach out, that kind of thing? Well, I'm on Twitter at Sat or I guess X at SAS Maker Mac. So S-A-A-S, of course. Um, you can put that in the show notes too. Um, I loosely kind of launched, quote unquote, launched a little podcast yesterday in, in Reddit. It was like a thing I had been thinking about doing sort of it's tied to the newsletter. But um, I've been having these great conversations with people, you know, readers of the newsletter. And um, so I had I was thinking I would start a little podcast where I let people ask me like three questions. We have like a 15 minute conversation. They ask me like three questions uh, and and that's that. And, and in exchange, we kind of share it on YouTube and into the world with, so other people can learn from it too. So if anyone's interested in that, um, you can reach out to me any of these ways. You can respond to the newsletter. I'm also at macmartin.com, giving a lot of URLs here, but uh, you can find out there. But like I said, yeah, we'll have it all in the show notes. But that's a fun way to, you know, for me to meet new people and figure out what people's challenges are and try to help. So if anyone wants to, you can reach out for that. Thank you for sharing that, Mac. We'll make sure to link to it for anybody who's listening. And uh, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Product Launch. I hope you got value out of it. I like to feature product people on my podcast because that's who I love to help. I'm a product strategist and I can help you scale your business and grow your profit through a product. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you, email me at sean at nextstep.io at Sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io, or visit my website at nextstep.io. That's N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io.
Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.